Do you have a motto? Like a quote or a line you use as a touchstone? Something you return to to get your bearings? To remind you about what's really most important, where your values are, the kind of person you want to be? Words to live by. Have anything like that? Something to post on your bathroom mirror or put in your pocket so it's there whenever you need it? One of the best I've ever come across was popularized by Alex Haley, the writer of Roots and the autobiography of Malcolm X. Here it is. Find the good and praise it. That's pretty good, right? Find the good and praise it. I love the pairing of those two verbs, find and praise. First, find. Seek out the good. Look for the good. Pursue the good. No matter what the circumstance or situation, find the good. But then the second move. So it's not just, you know, look on the bright side. Find the good and praise it. The word praise comes from the Latin word for price or value, which is why when we assess the value of a house or a jewel, we appraise it. We acknowledge and declare its worth and organize our lives accordingly. If it's valuable, we treasure it. We prize it. To praise is to prize. The words are close cousins. To lift up, to build up, to acknowledge worth, not for the sake of the jewel, the emerald is lovely whether you praise it or not, but rather for our own sake so we can orient our lives in a way that makes sense, putting first things first, valuing the actually valuable, prizing what's worth prizing, and letting go of whatever we should let go. Find the good and praise it. The church is a mission of mercy, an adventure that requires faith, courage, boldness. Those are the themes of the first two episodes of this series on understanding church. And now, a third step. The adventurous, courageous mission of the church often takes the form of praise, finding the good and appreciating its value so we can arrange our lives with wisdom and grace. Sounds good, right? All in favor of praise, please say aye. But here's the twist. For Jesus, there's a danger lurking here, slithering in the grass. As it turns out, praise can bring us together or tear us apart. I'm Matthew Meyer Bolton, and this is Strange New World, a show about understanding the Bible for skeptics, believers, and everybody in between. In the first episode of this series, we touched on how the church is not a group. First, because at its core, the church is a mission, not a membership, a verb, not a noun. And second, because Jesus and the gospel writers are so often interested in blurring the supposed boundary lines around the movement that was following him. Think of the Magi at Christmas. The outsiders, the Persians, you know, from another culture, another religion, present-day Iran. The outsiders who notice what the insiders overlook. Or the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross who recognizes and testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. Or, most famous of all, the so-called Good Samaritan, someone Jesus' Jewish listeners would have considered an adversary, who takes care of an injured stranger on the side of a road, 
a Samaritan, a non-Jew, who exemplifies, Jesus says, the essence of the Jewish law. So how do you draw that line? Are the Magi, the Centurion, the Samaritan insiders, members of the group? Not quite. They're clearly outsiders by many measures, but are they really outsiders? Not quite. They're exemplars, right? Jesus puts them at the center of things. They're at the vanguard of the movement, consummate insiders, really. The Magi see what everybody else misses. The centurion declares the truth as the disciples abandon Jesus and flee. The Samaritan does what the priest and the Levite, today we would say the pastor and the deacon, fail to do. The insiders act like outsiders, the outsiders act like insiders, the roles are mixed up, the lines are blurred, and so the whole project of group formation gets scrambled. It's as if Jesus says, don't think so much about group formation, who's in and who's out, but rather think about who sees what's really going on, who speaks the truth, who acts with genuine mercy, and follow their lead. Don't get distracted by who's in what group. I mean, the argument of the entire New Testament is that God's salvation arises in the context of Judaism, but in the end, it's not limited to Jews. It's also for Gentiles, which is to say, it's open to everyone. That's the overall dynamic of the New Testament, to reach out and include, not close up and exclude, to find the good and praise it, whether it's embodied in a Jew or a Gentile, a Samaritan or a Pharisee, a Muslim or an atheist or a humanist, or God forbid, a Christian from a part of Christianity that you don't like. None of that matters. Find the good and praise it and follow it. Don't get bogged down in group membership. Stay open and prize the good wherever it may be found. Jesus makes this kind of point repeatedly, both in explicit teachings and across the broad choreography of his public ministry. Take the Gospel of Luke, for example, where at one point Jesus explicitly turns his face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross and the empty tomb. In chapter 9. He arrives in Jerusalem in chapter 19. So, ten chapters, more or less, Jesus' final journey, his climactic approach, with lots of teaching, lots of final words along the way. And where does Jesus start this last momentous pilgrimage? He starts in Samaria. Now, Samaritans were descendants of generations of intermarriage between, on the one hand, Jews left behind during the exile in Babylon, and on the other hand, Gentiles who were settled in Israel by the conquering Assyrians. Thus, Samaritans shared a common heritage with Jews, but they were also quite different. Imagine Roman Catholics and Protestants in early modern Europe, with their mutual bigotries and suspicions, the appetites for vengeance, their their similarities only sharpening their contempt. Jews and Samaritans were likewise enemies, and one of their key points of contrast, one of the practical lines that made it clear which side you were on, came down to praise. 
they disagreed over the location of the sanctuary, the holiest place in the world where God was to be worshipped. Samaritans insisted it was on a mountain in Shechem, and Jews insisted it was the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Perhaps for this reason, when Jesus and his entourage pass through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem, the Samaritans deny them hospitality, a great insult in the ancient world. This enrages the disciples who promptly ask Jesus, with good Christian charity no doubt, if they should, quote, command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, unquote. Jesus immediately rebukes the disciples for their zealotry, and then in the very next chapter, he casts a Samaritan as the hero in a parable about following the Jewish law, about showing mercy, about how to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this alone is a powerful challenge to the disciples, and by extension to us, to resist the clannish group formation that so often characterizes religion, the temptation to find the good and praise it in ourselves, in our group, and thereby to look down on everybody else with contempt and even call for violence. Sound familiar? And against this self-praise, Jesus pushes us to find the good and praise it wherever we find it, even and especially in the actions of those we regard as adversaries. But Jesus isn't finished. There's more. Near the end of his journey to Jerusalem, he returns to the same theme, just in case we missed it. This time, a group of ten people with leprosy, carefully keeping their distance according to custom, cry out to Jesus, calling him Master and asking for mercy. Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest, and they find themselves healed along the way. Only one, a Samaritan, returns and gives glory to God for what Jesus has done. Jesus commends him, highlights that he's a Samaritan, and then celebrates his devotion, saying, Your faith has made you well. And so we might ask, what is it precisely that Jesus celebrates about the Samaritan's faith here? It's not revering Jesus, for all ten call him master. It's not obeying his instruction, for all ten do what he commands, setting out toward the priest to be officially reconciled to the community. And it's not theological correctness, for Samaritans and Jews disagreed over many religious matters, including how and where to praise. But if it's not reverence, obedience, or orthodoxy that distinguishes the Samaritan, what is it? What's different about him, of course, is that he pivots. Rather than simply going to see the priest, he stops, pivots, and returns to Jesus with thanks and praise. And when Jesus exalts him as an exemplar of faith, he thereby completes the striking portrait he began at the outset of his journey to Jerusalem with his famous Good Samaritan parable. Just as that parable dramatizes what it looks like to follow the second dimension of the greatest commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself, 
Here, what we might call the thankful Samaritan dramatizes what it looks like to follow the commandment's first dimension. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. What does loving God in this way actually look like? It looks like thanking and glorifying God for being the one from whom all blessings flow. It looks like having the insight and the nerve to stop, pivot, return, and praise. To illustrate the essence of Jewish law, Jesus paints a diptych, a pair of pictures featuring two Samaritans, one merciful, the other thankful for God's mercy. What we prize can divide us. We can and do pick fights over where and how to praise, over what to prize the most, over whose ideas are the closest to reality. In short, we pick fights over religion again and again and again, but Jesus will have none of it. Imagine a Jewish teacher, a rabbi, who puts two portraits of Samaritans up in the front of the sanctuary for all to see, and to admire, and to learn from, to find the good, and to praise it. It would be like entering a church today, walking up to the altar or the table up front, and seeing there two portraits, one of a Hindu, the other of a Buddhist or one of a Muslim and the other of an atheist. And of course, if you think about it, we already have this situation today when we walk into Christian churches and see portraits of a Roman centurion or magi from present-day Iran or a Samaritan tending to a wounded traveler on the side of the road. None of these are Christians, not in the conventional sense anyway, Again and again and again, Jesus calls us to find the good and praise it outside of Christian quarters, to seek out and lift up and celebrate people who are not Christian, who nevertheless exemplify what we prize most, mercy and faith and the good sense to pivot, return, and praise. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does, and that's what Jesus calls the church to be and to do. To praise, not in ways that divide, but in ways that reach out and help knit the world back together. Mercy's mission requires courage, it requires faith, and it often takes the form of engaging outsiders and adversaries, finding the good and praising it. In the book of Acts, also written by Luke, the story of the rise and establishment of the church after Jesus' departure, when the risen Jesus commissions the apostles, he seems to picture Samaria as a kind of first step, a threshold to the wider world the God of grace means to save. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jesus says, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a striking formulation and a challenge to all of us. God's saving love is for everyone, for the whole wide world, but the road to the ends of the earth, 
goes through Samaria. It goes through the local neighborhood. It goes through reconciliation with and learning from the supposed adversaries right next door. Strange New World is a SALT Project production, written and produced by me, Matthew Meyer-Bolton, with help from Elizabeth Meyer-Bolton. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions, Pablo J. Garman, and Epidemic Sound. If you like what you hear, spread the word and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help people find us. And drop us a line at community at saltproject.org. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>